Hello! I feel like I don't have everyone's attention. It's happening. It's happened and it's happening. Hello! Good morning, everyone. Oh, see, now I got you. That's very good. For those of you that don't know, my name is Jacob, and uh, I have the great honor and privilege of talking to you all this morning. We are continuing our series on generosity and thankfulness. So I thought it'd be appropriate to wish you all a happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Now, I have some very serious questions for you. These are, impar- these are like kingdom imperatives. These are super important questions. I'm sure many of you will know the answers to these questions. But I thought, you know, this would be a good time. It's all about thankfulness. It's a good time to, you know, kind of get started here with some good questions. Okay, so question number one. What kind of music did the pilgrims play? This is like U.S. history. This is super important. Anybody know? Plymouth Rock. That's pretty good. Okay, see? See? Okay. Second question. I have four questions. Second question. Why was the Thanksgiving soup so darn expensive? You guys should know this. You make Thanksgiving soup, right? Some of you make really good soup. Yes! There were 24 carrots! All right. Give that guy an extra slice of pizza later. That was, that was good. That was really good. All right. Wow. You guys, you guys know some stuff. I'm, I'm impressed. All right. Third question. What do you get when you cross a turkey with a banjo? A turkey that can pluck itself. All right. Last question. This one is super pertinent. Super pertinent. You guys, there should be guys in this room that can identify with this. Not kidding. What did the turkey say to the man who tried to shoot it? You guys should know this. Some of you, like, personify this answer. He said, liberty, equality, and bad aim for all. Some people in here that have bad aim. All right, that's it. I am done. I just got to say, you know, before, before we, we get started here, that you guys are super amazing and super generous. Really, truly. Um, for those of you that don't know, my wife and I had a daughter back in February. February 14th. What is that, guys? Haha, I don't get to spend, I don't have to spend Valentine's Day for the next 18 years. We have a birthday party instead. It's gonna be great. Just saying, I got that now. Don't have to plan Valentine's Day. It's awesome. No, so we had my daughter uh, back in February, February 14th. I will never forget her birthday. It's amazing. You probably won't either now. So that's got that. That's great. And my wife reminded me yesterday, she's like, I just had to buy diapers this week. And that's because all of you (laughs) bought us so many diapers and so many great stuff. And the last couple of weeks, my my mom hasn't been here, and she normally watches Zuri while my wife and I are serving in other areas. And all of you, many of you, like, took care of her. It was amazing. Like, 
So all that to say, I'm just so thankful to be a part of this community. You guys are amazing and generous people. And uh, yeah, I'm just so happy to be here. And, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of the words of Jesus. He said, you'll know they're my disciples by what? Their love for one another. And uh, so, hey, I'll, I'll let's say, if you're having a baby, this is a great place to have a baby. <laughs> so there's that. And I know some of you might have babies or are having babies, so don't go anywhere. There's going to be lots of diapers. All right. One of the things that you and I, as followers of Jesus, have to wrestle with when we consider what it means to be generous and sometimes what it means to be thankful is risk. This year has been kind of a year where we've been talking a lot about risk. And I want to kind of continue that conversation by sharing with you my story of coming from a place of fear to faith. And, uh, and that's required, on my part, some measure of risk. Now, left to myself, I am totally and completely risk-averse. Like, if there were a spectrum of people that like to take risk, and some of you are in this room, like, you just, you just throw caution to the wind and you go for it, and that's awesome. I don't understand that. I'm on the other end. I do not like throwing caution to the wind. In fact, I kind of like to have a plan. And even more than that, even more than that, like some of you that throw caution to the wind, like you'll do it and sacrifice like, you know, whatever it is because it's a great idea or you feel super excited about it or you feel called to do it. I'm not like that. I happen to like my creature comforts. I like, you know, to be comfortable. I like to have toys. Right? I like to be comfortable. You guys, you guys probably like to be comfortable too. I like to be comfortable. I like to have plans. I like to have plans that consider all the contingencies and things that could go wrong so that I can mitigate the risk. Maybe you do too. I don't know. In fact, left to myself, I would keep everything I had and meticulously catalog it and never give anything away. Seriously. My wife would probably, I probably wouldn't be married, but if I was, my wife would likely kill me. I'd have storage units full of stuff that not using. But as a follower of Jesus, I recognize that I've been called to an adventure with him. And sometimes, that adventure, maybe even oftentimes, at least for me, requires some measure of risk and some measure of stepping into the unknown, into places I have not been. And there's two things that the Lord Jesus has laid on my heart, two things that he has called me to an adventure in. And the first The first is, there's two, and I know both of them, but I don't know the order of my slides, so here we are, is to bless people through business. Now, I've blessed people through business, but they've been mostly investors. 
<laughs> and one might argue that those people really don't need to be blessed. So he's laid on my heart to bless people through business. And as I've wrestled with this, I feel called and compelled to start a business. The second thing that the Lord has laid on, laid on my heart is to bless people by sharing the good news of Jesus. And, uh, you know, here I am. We're going to share some good news this morning. So I, I, I hope I exercise this calling just a little bit with all of you this morning. But I will tell you this. Every time, every time, without fail, I prepare a talk like this one. There's a moment when I am just overwhelmed and consumed by fear. What if they don't like me? What if they don't laugh at my jokes? What if I explain something wrong? I do explain things wrong, so, you know, you should double-check my work. I, I encourage you. You see, and, and the, the irony is, the irony for me anyway is, I've talked to hundreds of people. I've not had any sleepless nights. But when I talk about Jesus, it's a little scary. I have a, just a little bit of fear, sometimes a lot. Today was a little bit, I'll, I'll admit, it's a little bit. I don't know if you're like this, but when I determine to do something, I get really excited about it. Now, for those of you that don't know me, I know you're gonna, this is just going to shock you. Shock you. I am a nerd. <laughs> I know, shocking, right? Shocking. You guys would have never guessed. Would have never guessed. I'm a nerd, and nerds, we're known for like a, a bunch of things, but one thing that we're really known for is when we get into something, we really get into something. So, you know, like when I get into something, I get really excited about it until I'm not into that something anymore. I'm kind of like this dog. I feel like the lights have, have gone out. <laughs> oh, there they are. All right. No worries. No, I'm like that. I'm like, oh, I love this. This is awesome. This is great. This is going to be, the, this is going to save my life. It's going to be so good. <gasps> Squirrel. Oh, it's over there. That's, that's cool. Let's go do that now. I don't know. Maybe you can identify uh, with that just, just a little bit. See, I had a, just an experience, in fact, um, just this last month where it kind of reminded me of this. For those of you that don't know, I shared a little bit about this earlier this year. I've determined to quit my job, do something new, quit a full-time job that pays me a paycheck every week, and to do something more on my own. And if you can imagine, as someone that is accustomed to getting a paycheck every week, that is a little scary. That is a little frightening. That involves some measure of risk. And part of this transition, I had agreed to, you know, my, my full-time employer to 
um, find my replacement. To my great dismay now, I agreed to find my replacement. And I have been working tirelessly for the last few months to find my replacement. I found one. He accepted the job until he didn't accept the job. <laughs> and when I learned of that, after the frustration had passed, I'll admit, I was a little, just a little excited that I'd be continuing to get a paycheck <laughs> for a few more weeks or months or whatever it is, because this is taking me a really long time. And, you know, in that moment, I was reminded that I'm still fearful of the unknown. I still have this insecurity that I'm working through. And, and the amazing thing is, is that during this transition, God has made a way where I saw no way. So I had to repent of my, of my uh, faithlessness, of my unbelief. Maybe you're just a little bit like me. Maybe you like your creature comforts too. Maybe you are also easily distracted and take detours around things. I'm really good at finding, like, making excuses and finding, you know, ways to justify what I'm doing. Maybe you are too. Maybe you find yourself led by fear. Fear and doubt and shame. And those folks, fear, doubt, and shame, they're the tools of the enemy. They're the tools that the enemy uses to keep us from exercising our faith, to keep us from action, to keep us from really doing the things that our Lord Jesus has called us to. Jesus told us a story about this sort of scenario here we're talking about in Matthew chapter 25. And if you don't know about Matthew, that's okay. We talked about this last week. He was an ex-tax collector. It's funny because whenever you read about sinners in the New Testament and the Christian scriptures, it always says tax collectors and sinners. Like tax collectors are a certain type of sinner. They need to be called out. They're like the canonical example of a sinner. The quintessential example of what a sinner looks like, it was a tax collector. And that's because they often took advantage of people for their own benefit, which was not good. And I think we can all agree that's not good. So Matthew, an ex-tax collector, was an eyewitness to the words and works of Jesus and wrote them down for our benefit. So Matthew, recalling the words of Jesus in Matthew 25, wrote this. He said, actually, he said, he told a story um, of three servants. A master was going out, he was going on a great journey, and he called three servants to him, and he gave, him some of, he gave them some of his wealth. He entrusted to them some of what he had. And these were great sums. Matthew tells us that 
He gave to one, one talent, another two talents, and another five talents. And you, we don't know what talents are. But scholars think that a talent in Jesus' day in antiquity was worth 10,000 denarii. That sounds like a lot to me. And in fact, it is. One denarii is a day's wage. So these were great sums of money that this master entrusted to his three servants. All three, and he went away for, for a while, and the three servants were to, you know, do stuff with the money they were given. When his master returned, he said to two of the servants, he said, who had doubled his money. That's pretty good. I would like some investment portfolio where I could give you money, any of you money, and you could double it for me. That would be awesome. Can anyone do that? Like, that would be great. Two of these three servants doubled the master's money, and he said to them, he said, well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful over little. I will, I will give you even more. I will set you over much, he said. Enter into the joy of your master. But one servant was the exception. He told this to his master. He said, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. I kept it safe. I was really afraid of you. But his master answered him. He said, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. You knew this. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. This, this servant, I think, was gripped by fear. He didn't want to lose anything. And in fact, he may have been a little lazy, according to the master, because he could have put the money in the bank, which was really easy to do, and made interest. But because he was gripped by fear, perhaps his own self-doubt, he did nothing. He did absolutely nothing. There's this game that I really like to play. I'll give you one guess as to what the name of this game is. It's like I have some friends in the room. I have probably played, I kid you not, folks, thousands of games of Risk. Thousands of games. And there are probably, in my estimation, there might be more, but there's three sort of main strategies when you play Risk. Might be more, but I think there's three. There's three. The first one, the first one. Now, okay, hold it. How many of you have actually played Risk? All right, so you're not like, you know, totally unfamiliar. That's good. For those of you that don't know, it's all about world conquering and domination and like killing other players. It's fantastic. It's a lot of fun. So, you know, you're basically trying to take land that other people own, you know, during the game. And when you get all the land you need to either complete a mission or to dominate the world, you win. It's great. We should play sometime. So the first strategy, the first strategy 
that I have seen deployed, I, strategy is kind of a generous way to put it, is, you know, you get a bunch of guys, you got a guy that you may need to kill, that's our green guy, the red guy, you know, he has a bunch of guys. Doesn't take much to kill one guy in risk, I'm just going to tell you that. It's not hard. But sometimes, like, these, the strategy is to just get more guys. More and more guys. And never do anything. Well, you might do some things, but not really. People play risk this way. I don't know why, but they do. The second strategy, this is the one I'm most fond of, is you got your guys, you got the one guy you need to take, you know, to take over, and you kind of do it in this onesie-twosie kind of manner. You kind of keep your, your own stuff, like you protect what you have, and you slowly, like, encroach on the enemy. Just, you know, maybe one at a time. You know, you do it very strategically. The third, the third risk strategy is where you just go for broke. You throw caution to the wind, you leave your guys undefended, and you just work to take over the world. Now this works out, this could work out really well. The problem is, is that if you run out of guys, you might not win. In fact, you might lose miserably. Because then, you know, your you're, you're, people can come take what you got. Right? Yeah, you guys know, you've played Risk. So I'm just going to give you one guess. What do you, we played this, actually I wasn't even there, but I heard about it, which is why it's so notable. Which strategy do you think our senior pastor, Daryl Evans, deployed the other night when playing Risk? Anybody? See, some of you are really nice, you're like, three, yeah, he's going to go for the, no, he did one. Just, he got one little place, he kept that one little place. Did he win? No. no. Did the person that deployed the third strategy win? No. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the truth. I normally play like the second guy, you know, these sort of calculated risks. I will admit, thousands of games I've played, the guy that normally wins, guy or gal that normally wins, is the person that plays like the third guy. Sometimes they don't. They go for broke and they like lose miserably. But oftentimes they win. They throw caution to the wind, they go for it, and they win. If you want a good example of this, go play Risk with Jacob Ulysses. <laughs> he always beats us to that punch. He knows when to risk. I'm not kidding. I could go on. Paul, writing to his protege, Timothy. If you don't know about Paul, he was, before he became a Jesus follower, he persecuted Jesus followers until he had a radical encounter with Jesus. He then became a missionary to guys like you and I, Gentiles, non-Jews. He planted many churches, and he wrote most of what we have in the Christian scriptures in the New Testament. And writing to, in his second letter, to his protege named Timothy, his disciple, his young up-and-coming disciple, he said this. He said, I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. 
See, I think God has given each of us talents, gifts, abilities that when exercised, not only bless us, but bless other people. And Paul's word of encouragement to to Timothy is to fan into flame that good deposit that Jesus put in him. See, when we come to faith, when we determine to follow Jesus, we give up our rights. We throw caution to the wind and we follow him. And sometimes we don't know where that leads us. We don't know where that's going. Sometimes, you know, we experience moments of fear and doubt. Sometimes the shames from the past crop up. Paul goes on to tell Timothy this. He said, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. He replaces our doubt with faith, our shame with self-control and love. He replaces fear in, in its place. In its place, he gives us hope. See, exercising our talents, throwing a little caution to the wind, matters a great deal. Because you and I are entrusted with building the kingdom of God, partnering with Jesus and his spirit to build his kingdom. Do you know that people get a taste of God's goodness through you and me? Sometimes we think when we come to faith, it's like kind of like an insurance policy. Like, oh, okay, I'm in now. I'm good. I'm good. Now I'm just going to go like, you know, I'll be nice, but I'm not going to do anything. I've thought this. And it's easy to kind of get in that mode. We look at the world around us and how broken lots of things are. And we go, oh, man, we're just helpless. How can we make a difference? How can we change anything? I think like that. We sometimes think that our present life is valueless just because we'll, you know, die someday. N.T. Wright in his book, and you don't know who N.T. Wright is, he's an English theologian. He's wrote a lot about Paul and a lot about the New Testament. He said this, he says, What you do with your, bo- with your body in the present matters because God has a great future in store for it. What you do in the present by painting, by preaching, Singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable, until the day when we leave it all behind altogether. They are the part of what we may call building the kingdom of God. See, I might be crazy, N.T. Wright might be crazy, but I happen to think that the things we do matter. The things we do now matter a great deal because we have been entrusted with building the kingdom of God and demonstrating God's goodness to the world. We've been each given a deposit and the encouragement is to fan it into flame. (laughs) Got to do that. (laughs) 
Jesus going on, in fact, in this chapter in Matthew 25, and I wish we had time to unpack it this morning. He talks about, you know, the people that are kind of in and out, the people that are his followers and those that are not. And in summary, he basically says, those that were concerned with the needs of the most vulnerable in society, they did it to me. They didn't, he didn't say, you did it because of me, you did it for me. He said, you did it to me. It's in those places that we find Jesus. And he invites them into eternal life. I might be crazy. Quoting John Wimber, the founder of the vineyard, he said, the poor, he said, the church needs the poor more than the poor needs the church. Mm. You see, we're called to be open-handed people. And this morning on display, you know, people that can freely receive and freely give. And on display this morning, we have like a testament right here of your generosity. It's, it's behind you on these tables. We're going to put together boxes that are going to go to third world countries to bless people, the lost, the least among us. They might not be lost, but they are least. One of the interesting things about this is that generosity begats generosity. I don't know if you remember, but last year, we did the same thing with Operation Christmas Child. We packed boxes. Our boxes went to Mexico, and we received a letter back from one of the children that received the box. And what impressed me about his letter wasn't his thankfulness to us, wasn't that he was you know, happy with the gifts he got, He was, but he said this. He said, I hope to do the same thing for a village that is near me. It just keeps going. Like, when we're generous, people are, this is a kingdom, like a kingdom principle. Like, it just keeps going. You can't stop it. So I'm going to right now invite the ushers to come and collect our connect cards and our offering. Kathy mentioned this, but we're taking an offering um, for Mexico and Convoy of Hope next week. And we're encouraging everyone to consider giving up one day's wage for these two causes. And we specifically picked these two things because they're outside of ourselves. They're not for us, it's for others. We work hard to really wrestle with what it means to be open-handed. In fact, you may not know this, we, we often on Sunday mornings here pray for another church. That's a demonstration of our open-handedness. We recognize that we're not the only church in the valley. Sorry to break it to you guys. We're not the only church in the valley. There are others that are doing really good things to bless people and to advance the kingdom of God. And if we're not your church, we might pray for one that is. We are open-handed people. Our great challenge, and I'm going to kind of end with this, our great challenge, invite the worship team to come forward, 
is to say yes to Jesus. He has called and deposited in all of you something to bless others, not just yourself, but to bless others. And our great responsibility as his followers is to say yes. It's hard. Sometimes there's a measure of fear and doubt. Sometimes, you know, it's not easy to say yes. But the truth is we don't always know where our yeses will lead us. We don't always know. Once a year, I think I share this story, but every time I think of it, it challenges me and encourages me. You may not know this, but many, many years ago, many years ago, a couple of folks, a handful of folks, decided to minister to a community that was near our church. And in that community, there were many, many, many uh, Cambodians. And some of them started attending our church. They were in a kind of a poor area of town. They were immigrants. Many, many of them were immigrants, first-generation Americans. And I'm sure it wasn't easy, but they felt called to go bless these people. And over time, like I said, some of these folks started attending our church. My now mother and father-in-law, they started coming and planted their own church. They meet with us here. They also planted four churches in Cambodia. Now, I bet if you asked those few people that started ministering to that community, what would happen? I don't think they would have told you five churches, six churches are going to come out of that. They would not have said that. See, I think God has probably plans bigger than ours. And our responsibility is to just say yes to what he has called us to. I can't tell you what he's called you to. I told you what I'm called to. But I think that this is something that we need to wrestle with as individuals and as a body. Because we do not know, do not know where our yeses will lead. We do not know where they will take us. Pan into flame, the good deposit. God is put in you. We're going to sing um, one more song. And while we do that, I want to invite those of you that feel like you've been just maybe nudged a little bit to say yes again this morning to stand up. We would really like to surround you and pray for you, encourage you. The Lord says that he surrounds us with shouts of deliverance. So if you feel like you just need to say yes again, like God has laid something on your heart, he's nudged you just a little bit, you need to say yes again. Maybe for the first time. You need to say yes for the first time. That's okay too. We really would like to pray for you this morning. So I want to invite you right now, just, just stand up where you're at. Just going to wait on the Lord here a little bit. All right. So those of you that are sitting down, I'm going to commission you to pray for the people that are standing up. 
So if you'll just right now, if you feel so led, lay hands on these people, shout at them. No, don't do that. (laughs) But pray for them, encourage them. And uh, I'm going to give you just a minute, and then we're going we're gonna to sing our, our last song together, and I'll, I'll close us up. Before we pack the boxes, it's going to be great. Oh, Lord, we are just so thankful for what you are doing in us and through us, Lord. We pray, God, that you would forgive us of our unbelief. Give us faith, Lord Jesus. Help us let go of our doubts, our fears. Help us, Lord, to listen to the spirit that you have given to us. Spirit of power and peace, love, sound mind. Thank you, God. I want to just leave you with this last little thought. And he Wright, in his book, Surprised by Hope, said this. Our task in the present is to live as re- resurrection people in between Easter and the final day. With our Christian life, corporate and individual, in both worship and mission, as a sign of the first resurrection and a foretaste of the second. That's why we're here. Through us, individually and collectively, people get a taste of heaven, God's goodness, and his love. And our great responsibility is to fan that deposit into flame, is to say yes. So let's do some of that this afternoon as we have food with one another, as we pack some boxes, as we pray for the people that those boxes are going to. Thank you all. Have a great week. Do not leave.